where we speak to individuals with lived mental health experiences to help people feel less alone and more connected. Today we are speaking with Jodie about her experience with agoraphobia. Now I do want to make sure that I let the listeners know that there is a trigger warning of mention of suicidal ideation and suicidal attempts in this podcast. So please, please, if you are listening and struggle with this and this could trigger you, um, I would recommend maybe not listening to this or listening to this at a time when you are in a better mental health space. So Jodie started having panic attacks as young as year six during the time when school trips started happening and she felt absolute terror at the idea of going This then progressed gradually from there and the anxiety got worse and worse until Jodie was sleeping on her mum's bedroom floor at the age of 14 and literally couldn't leave her mum's side. Jodie was aware that she was struggling with agoraphobia after researching on the internet and went to seek support from mental health professionals on multiple occasions but was consistently told she had generalised anxiety disorder. After years of being ignored by the health system and not receiving the support that she desperately needed, Jodie tried to commit suicide. Luckily, Jodie survived and she is here to sell her story today on the podcast. Thank you so much for listening today, guys. I hope you enjoy the show. And please, please, if you are struggling with any of the issues that we speak about in today's episode, remember to seek professional support. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of Your Dose. Today we are speaking to Jodie. Hi Jodie. Hi. How are you? I'm good, thank you. And where are you based? Because as always it's my first question and it sounds like you're based in England somewhere. I am, I'm just outside of Manchester. Ah, northerner, I love that. Yeah. I do always live in Manchester. <laughs> Um, pretty much, yeah. And are you with parents? You live at home? What's your living situation? No, I currently live with my girlfriend. Oh, nice. And how long have you... How old are you? I'm 21. I always forget that. I still think 21. I'm 21. So did you move out of home? That's quite young to be. Well, I guess <laughs> not really. I'm, think- I'm thinking of that being young, but it's not because I was at university at that time. Have you been to uni or college or anything? Or um, I'm in university at the minute. And what are you studying? Psychology. I love that. I also studied <laughs> psychology. Are you um, at Manchester University? No, I, um, I do a from home university. It's called the Open University. Oh, cool. And when did you start doing that? Um, so I'm just about to go into my second year this month. And how are you finding university from home? I mean, I, I just don't, I don't know much different. So it's, yeah, you know, it's easier to work it around your schedule. I work as well. So it just all makes it a lot easier. So do you do the parts? So it's like a part-time, or is it a full-time or part-time course? 
It's a full-time course. Ah, so you do that in like on your days off from work and stuff? Yeah, or in the evenings. So when I finish work, I'll just switch straight on to uni and go from there. And what's your normal job? Uh, my normal job, I work in uh, customer service and complaints. So is that also over the phone as well? Um, that's just emails. Uh, luckily, okay. I don't have to speak to anyone over the phone. That's really helpful. I can't imagine speaking to people over the phone, having complaints all day. No. <laughs> okay. Um, well, thank you for giving a little bit more of an insight into who you are, what you do, where you're from. It's always helpful. Um, but obviously, what we're really here for today is to learn a little bit more about your mental health experience. For the listeners, Jodie actually reached out to me um, and had mentioned that she'd listened to some of the podcasts and she really wanted to share her story. So still so grateful for that. And I appreciate Jodie being so brave um, to come on here and talk about her experience. So I think the best question really would be, what has your mental health journey been so far? Um, okay, so um, I mean, for anyone who obviously doesn't know me, um, I have very severe um, agoraphobia, which is, I guess by Google definition, it's a fear of like being somewhere where an escape isn't, possible or like easily accessible but it's very different for everyone um and a lot of people and myself um eventually end up housebound with it so I've been housebound now for three years um and I think it all started from a very very young age I think the first memory I have of what I now know to be a panic attack but um it was in year six so for anyone not from the UK I think you're about 10 um and everyone was going on this big school trip I remember my my teachers handing out the letters and it was the first overnight school trip um Mm. and I felt absolute terror like all of my friends were excited and I just started crying and my teacher pulled me to one side and I was like I started begging her because at that age I didn't know that it was an option to go yeah. I was like begging her I was like no I can't I can't go like please and yeah. I just remember I was hysterical um so I never ended up going and that weekend the all of my friends went and I didn't I had to sleep on my mum's bedroom floor for the first time and I just could not leave her side I was so terrified as if the teachers were gonna come back from the trip and take me um wow and it really just gradually progressed from there I went into high school um and for the first few years I was fine um, I just couldn't stay out um, and I, I had like a lot of anxiety um, just generalised anxiety um, but I had started sleeping on my mum's bedroom floor which in high school is um, definitely not considered a normal thing to still be doing um, yeah. and I think I've reached the age of like 
14 and I was still sleeping on my mum's bedroom floor um and eventually the teachers found out and they was like okay what is going on um and I just explained to them like I'm just too I'm too scared like I don't know why I had no idea what was happening I was feeling so at that time it was really like a lot of just thoughts of like why like I know none of my friends do this I can't talk to my friends about this because you you get kind of ridiculed a lot in high school for anything so yeah yeah yeah. I feel like kind of coming out that you're sleeping on your mum's bedroom floor just wasn't something I could um speak to anyone about um and then my my teachers ended up finding out um I believe it was my mum that actually told them so that they would speak to me. I found out quite a few years later. Um, and and they advised that I went to the doctors. And they said, this is sounding like it's a bit more than just, you know, the general anxiety yeah. that kids get. Um, so we did. Um, and I was told that all kids get it all kids in high school get anxiety and I'll be fine um and I was I was turned away from that doctor's um, how did yeah. that make you feel what age were you at that point when you got turned away I was um 14 at this point so obviously it took the courage for you to actually speak about this openly to teachers which yeah. not really the people that you want to be talking about this stuff to and then you then have the courage to then go to the doctors, presumably with your mum, explain it, and then you literally yeah. got turned away. Yeah. Um, Can you remember what you felt like at that time? I felt so awful. I remember going home in the car and, like, trying not to cry because my mum was also in the car. Mm. And... I just didn't want to make it seem like it was a big deal because everybody around me was treating it like it's not a big deal. But I knew that I was going to bed every night absolutely terrified and I have no idea what was, like, what of. It -hmm. wasn't like normal kid fears. It wasn't like, oh, someone's going to break in or something's going to happen. Yeah, because I used to have a lot. It's interesting because I I actually slept with my parents until I was year seven so that's 12 and mine was very much around the house getting set on fire or somebody coming to be or somebody burgling the house so there was an actual reason behind why I was feeling those fears as well I mean it's still not normal um but I was an anxious child but you're saying that there was actually not really anything that you were scared of not that I knew about at the time I always just thought that I was I don't know like I I just I just needed to be when your mom felt like safety yeah I just felt really really unsafe like almost just in my own skin I just felt unsafe if somebody wasn't there yeah um and it went on from there to get progressively worse really fast I could no longer go 
to certain places with my friends I was feeling the same terror but over places that I've already been before and like during the day um and I stopped being able to go like into Manchester which for me is um about 30 minutes away Mm. um I stopped being able to go there and I couldn't explain it to my friends I always had to tell them I was ill Mm. um I used like every excuse in the book to avoid telling them what was happening because I didn't know and nobody was explaining it to me um I went to the doctors again um but at different doctors this time we changed doctors because I was so scared that they weren't going to listen to me and at this point I knew something is not right like I want to go out with my friends yeah I don't know why I can't because I could a few months ago and when I went to the doctors again I think I was around 15 at this point they said that it was exam stress and again everybody gets it and I was going to be fine and I was turned away again um and at that point I became so suicidal um I was dealing with suicidal thoughts almost every single day yeah and it was like absolutely excruciating because I didn't want to feel like that like I was such a happy child and I had so many friends like I didn't struggle in high school it wasn't one of those situations I had so many friends and they were amazing and I was just missing them so much and I couldn't talk to them and no one was listening to me and I was like this is really just only happening to me then like if if the doctors are turning me away clearly you know they they don't believe it because this doesn't happen Mm. and I tried googling and tried absolutely everything that I could and there was just nothing it just kept telling me anxiety everything that was coming up was anxiety do you remember the things that you were googling um I was googling stuff like um have like is it normal to be sleeping on your mum's floor at like this age or like a parent's floor or in bed with your parents um and I was going through kind of loads of links where um it kind of takes you to those question pages where other people have asked things yeah like I'm scrolling through it. them yeah um a lot of them started bringing up like yeah PTSD and stuff like that but I at this age I had no idea what that was I was like oh I don't have that I'm I'm fine. Like I I was a happy child before this happened. Like right, you yeah. know. So, yeah. Um. But then, I started gaining. Um. Well, not gaining. I had emetophobia this whole time. That I didn't know. So interesting. How many people have keep you are the fourth person on this podcast. <laughs> talk about emetophobia which so you so you had that at all this time and you yeah wow I had no idea what was it that made you aware that you had it 
um i was sick so i i had actually vomited and the terror that i had felt before it i was mm, i think this is what i'm afraid of mm. because every time i have anxiety i was feeling sick and that was when the terror Ah, would okay. kick in yeah yeah yeah. that makes sense so when i was sick I was like, this cannot happen again and if i make sure that this can't happen again then i'll not feel like anxiety again yeah yeah and i'll be okay like this is it i can cure myself like yeah. i was so dead set and i developed what i didn't know at the time was compulsions mm. compulsive googling um i was i had like a ritual that i had to say in my head on the way to school over and over again and if anybody had interrupted me on the way to school i was going to be sick that day what was the ritual relate you don't have to say the ritual but do you know yeah. if you're if you if you're comfortable enough to share the ritual i don't know how personal it is but um <laughs> or even what was it related to yeah it was it was like nothing like really like deep and meaningful it literally was me saying over and over again in my head you're not going to be sick for the whole of today for the whole of tonight for the whole of this morning i had to make sure i mentioned all three mm. because if i said today then i didn't specifically say this morning meaning i could still be sick this morning Right, so you'd have to keep saying it. Would there be a certain yeah. amount of times? There was never a certain amount of times. It was until I reached school, and my school was a half an hour walk. I used to take the bus, but people kept speaking to me on the bus, mm. and it would mess up what I was saying in my head. So I started walking instead, and it was a half an hour walk, and trying not to bump into anyone so that they wouldn't interrupt what I what I was saying in my head because it would ruin it and I would have anxiety for the rest of the day and it would just it was yeah. awful um and I thought that I was like this this is working this is what is getting me through my day so this is what I need to do every day and then it became taking paracetamol as well I had to take two paracetamol every day i'd say two in the morning and two just before bed because i was also determined that that was going to stop me from being sick um it turned into timing so i knew that i mean i don't know whether this is 100 percent correct but i saw on google that you can only be sick from a meal within seven hours of eating that meal after seven hours that food can't make you sick and i began setting timers on my phone seven hours and that must have been so yeah. that must have been so um that was must, that period must have made you so anxious in that seven hours you just sat there waiting and waiting and waiting yeah for the seven hours to pass and then you must have got that relief which is like, the, that's because that's the compulsion, isn't it? And then you get yeah. that sense of relief and you're like, oh, okay, I'm fine. And as soon as you eat again, you're engaging in that compulsion. Again, then it's a relief. And then 
So how long did that go on for? That, I mean, only completely stopped around two years ago. So I would have been about 19. So I kept that going for four years. Other than the mantra, that stopped um, after um, I was sick again after a school day um and I'd said that mantra in my head that day and I really um punished myself for that because I I'd messed up in my head what when you say punish what how what would you do just just feel really just sit and feel really shit no that was um it was around the time that I had already started um self-harming okay um so that's what I did in response to that because in my head I had I had messed up somewhere I I had said that wrong somewhere and that's what made me feel that type of terror again and that's what's now messed up the mantra for me I can't say the I can't say the mantra again because it it didn't work. work So um, I know that self-harms and anybody that's listening, obviously this is a quite a difficult and very important topic. But um, in terms of, of course, because self-harm can be absolutely anything in terms yeah. of what self-harm can be exercising, for example, it can be overeating. But what was self-harm for you? Was it engaging in quite dangerous behaviour to yourself? Um, I mean, I don't know whether I am allowed to say specifics. Mm. I mean, is that okay? Yeah, as long as you feel comfortable to talk about that, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely, like, a a trigger warning to anyone who is, like, listening. Um, My form of self-harm was, uh, at first, it was um, cutting myself with a hair grip. So they were very surface. Okay. Um, but then I turned to a razor blade and a carpet cutter. And were your parents aware that you're your mom, whoever you were living with, aware that you were doing this? No. So you would do it in quite discreet places so that when you went to school it would be covered up or wherever you were, nobody would see that you were doing that. I lived primarily with my mom, um, and she was really badly struggling with alcoholism. Um, okay. So she was quite a bad alcoholic. So she really wasn't present. Um, so I could get away with it. It was really only when I was outside that it needed to be covered. And how were your friends throughout all this? Obviously, you've said quite a few times that you had a really big friendship group, which is amazing because despite what you were going through, you still managed to clearly keep friendships and not isolate yourself too much. But there is only a period of time when, obviously, when your mental health gets really bad that you do naturally start to isolate yourself. Obviously, you're not going out, you're not seeing your friends. And when you're younger, they, I mean, when when you're a bit older, 
friends understand a little bit more whereas i think when you're young, younger it's like oh well jody never comes out so we're not going to invite her out anymore and all the rest of it so yeah what was your experience with your friendships during this time i mean during that time because i could still go out i kept a majority um of my friends mm. um and they were really great they were so supportive like the most of them honestly were very mature for their ages and my age yeah. um they yeah they were they were really good about it they always knew when like something was wrong and sometimes I would have um my two best friends come over if I had just hurt myself um because we didn't like always have like bandages and stuff or I couldn't go downstairs to get them because it would be a bit too obvious so I would always message my friends and they would come around and they would help me and they'd bring bandages and so good wipes and stuff and they were they were amazing so in terms of your agoraphobia is it a specific place or places because obviously at this period of time you're still going to school so it's not that you're not afraid to leave the house completely but i don't know that's why i'm asking the question it's because agoraphobia can be where you are literally cannot leave the house you are really afraid to because that's it's all about being safe isn't it so yeah i mean the question is where is there a specific areas that you cannot go um at that point it was just anywhere it became anywhere that was too far to get to a bathroom somewhere private that i could be sick if i needed to okay um it really started to revolve around the emetophobia um so school was fine um i had to sit at the door in every class which kind of singled me out to a little bit of uh high school stuff you know uh because people didn't understand um but i had to sit i had to sit by the door um but it got worse when i hit 16 um like 15 to 16 um and i could no longer be in lesson um it just became too much um the walk to the bathroom just felt too far now um i don't know i anxiety just decided no Mm. like nothing happened but um it it really just decided one day no um so I had to take all of my lessons in a private room, which was called the OBC, the onboard centre, which is just where people go if they're ill, um, if they're in like isolation, maybe stuff like that. Um, yeah. They just sit you all in, in a room, um, Gosh. and I had to take all of my lessons in there. And did and at that point was anybody asking any questions? You know, what? Why is Jodie not in class anymore? you had that and it's like how would you explain did you ever explain to people like did anybody really know what was going on or they just thought that I mean I mean what do you even know what anxiety is when you're at school I don't even think it was a really spoken about thing and I look back at school and think how many children 
there was always somebody in the class who was maybe um, had extra care for some reason or had some sort of requirement on trips. And like at the time when you're young, you don't really consider what you just don't know. You just think, oh, yeah, it's just so and so like they need that extra help or whatever. Um, And I wonder how many people at school actually were struggling with similar things to what, what you were struggling with. Yeah. Um, so did you know, were you diagnosed at that point with emetophobia or did you just know that you had this fear of being sick? No, I wasn't diagnosed. Um, I think that was the only thing that I'd ever self-diagnosed myself with, um, was, was emetophobia. Like I knew 100% that is the worst thing Mm. that could ever happen to me. So in terms of the, so that was, so at school you obviously had to, and you, you couldn't be in less anymore, you couldn't, because yeah. you, you weren't near enough to a bathroom. What is agoraphobia like for you today? You said you've not really left the house for three years. Yeah. So is that literally you cannot leave the house, or can you leave the house and maybe go to, like, specific places? No. Um with all mental health conditions you have like good days and bad days um yeah and on a good day I can um like make it up the street um my street's really quiet so um and a few weeks ago I made it to um a little hill near my house amazing um but that's um that's really as far as far as you get um my mum lives two streets up from me and I I can't well, get she to her comes house. she she does come down she's um really really busy so it's so hard to find time between my schedule and hers but she does and your mum is aware of obviously what's going on now she is so um at what point were you diagnosed because obviously we spoke a bit ago about the doctors just being absolutely terrible and you got turned away so many times so what was that moment where they actually started to take you a bit more seriously um i had gone to them a couple more times um within the within the few years um and they kept turning me away um it was only actually in I think I had gone at the end of year 11 um so at like 16 at the end of being 16 yeah um and that's when they said okay you have generalized anxiety disorder here's some medication like you're you're going to be good essentially and what was um, the medication that they gave you at that time? They put me on propanol. Okay. Um, so they didn't, the, they didn't offer any talking therapy or no. anything. They just gave you some pills and said, right, go away. That'll sort you out. Yeah. So, so you obviously started to take the medication. What, how, how did you react to that? I definitely wanted more of a support. Um mm. In my head, I'd met people with generalised anxiety condition and they weren't 
like me in the slightest, so I was quite confused, but I was like, okay. Cool. Yeah, the doctor said it. Yeah. Yeah. The doctor said it. They they have the information, not me. I just you know, it's fine. Um so I took the medication and that it it did help. It really eased the panic attacks. It didn't stop them altogether, but it really did just take yeah. that little bit a bit of a edge off. Yeah. Um so that that was really great. Was there um, any side effects with those the medication? No. no. Um I was yeah, I was quite lucky with that one. I've tried a few of the medications since where the side effects have been um yeah. awful, but yeah, I I really I I work so well with propanol i'm still on it to this day amazing um so yeah that was that was great um i then a few months later went back because i was starting to feel very um very suicidal mm. um my places of where i could go was getting a lot smaller and i had started to lose a lot of friends mm. Because yeah. they just couldn't, they couldn't understand, and I couldn't explain it to them because yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Yeah, they probably just think Jody just keeps cancelling on plans, and yeah, so, and and you're not saying why, what's going on, so they just think, oh well, why are we even going to bother? Yeah, which is um, yeah. I think at, at this point I really couldn't go much further than my garden. Wow. Um, and there is only so many times you can say you don't feel well. Yeah. And at that age, you know, everyone was kind of just going into college. You know, they really had their own lives and it made me feel even worse because I was like, their lives kind of revolve around me right now. And it made me feel so bad. Like, I saw them cancelling so many plans, so many, like, parties that they were invited to or underage nights out that yeah. they were going on, you know, to sit in my back garden. Um, and I just knew that it just wasn't where any of them wanted to be. They just felt really obligated um, to do that. So that was really hard pill to swallow i was like if this keeps getting worse i'm really gonna i'm gonna lose them like you know these are really the only family that i've had for a majority of my life you know my dad wasn't great and my mom was an alcoholic yeah like these people really helped me yeah. get through to where I am now like I can't I really can't lose them um and when I went back to the doctors with these suicidal thoughts they had put me through for a therapy CBT um and how was and that it, it it was really too late for them to have listened um the only place that they could give me CBT because they wasn't listening to the fact that I couldn't go out. Um, they really weren't listening. 
so they booked me an in-person CBT and I didn't actually receive the sessions until six months later. Six months? Yeah. Is that because you were on a waiting list? Mm-hmm. So bad, isn't it? The amount of the, yeah. six months is such a long time and you, the decline that can happen in that six months and you're suicidal. And that's yeah. a scary thing, right? Because you've literally gone to the doctor saying you want to have suicidal thoughts. You want to die. You don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll, we'll put you on the six months waiting list. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. And that's this worrying thing because what, can, what could have happened in those six months? Exactly. Um, but with agoraphobia, I think the one thing I stress so bad now um, to everyone is that it is such a fast decline. Mm. It's so fast. Yeah. Like if if it isn't treated right, and if you don't know what it is, it just happens so fast. Like you can't. It gets to a point you have no control, mm. and it goes from you have this much freedom to you have absolutely nothing. And that's what happened. Um, I had done a couple months of uh, college. Yeah. I dropped out. Um, I couldn't do it. I tried so hard um, in so many, so many, like, ways and ways around it. And I just couldn't. Um, you know, I had such a bad decline. Um, and I, I couldn't do the therapy. By the point it came around, I did force myself to one session and I just couldn't do it after that. Um This is the this is the C V T or yeah. yeah. So so that was well, when would you have been at college? Like eight seventeen, eight sixteen, seventeen? I was yeah, I think I was seventeen. Seventeen, okay. When, when I got the therapy. So what's been what's life been like from this from seventeen and and how like has anything changed since then in terms of obviously you didn't have the CBT. Yeah. Have you had any treatment since that's been effective? Um I was so I guess since then it's so it's so hard because like if the story doesn't go in order, it gets so complicated because the so much kind of just went on and it leads to the rest. Yeah. Um, so it was after that, um, I lost, like, I really lost all of my friends. They, they were growing up. They were 17, some were 18. They were legal now. They could go clubbing. Yeah. They literally just continued having their life and mine really stopped. Um, so I was dealing with almost grief of losing yeah. every childhood friend. Um, and the suicidal thoughts got so much worse. Um, I had called the doctor so many times. Um and I said everything under the sun I could say to them to stress, like, this is so bad, please 
like you know I really I need something please like I I don't know what's happening to me um they put me on antidepressants mm. um and that was, was it sertraline or it was sertraline and how did you respond to sertraline not good um no. what, what it, was it because it's pretty mixed I've never I've never been on sertraline um but what was your why was it a negative experience for you my experience with sertraline was horrendous it made me so numb and to somebody who is already very suicidal not having any emotion is a very like it's dangerous bad to do, I guess yeah yeah a care. very bad mix um but yeah I had I had no emotion whatsoever so, so you couldn't cry or no. yeah I mean it's it's interesting because obviously you've got you've got one side that's like really pro sertraline and people have can literally it changes their life yeah and then you are you hear about the other side of it which is not so which is not spoken about as much I don't think around just not feeling anything which I guess in some ways can be if you're really emotional could probably be a good thing but like you said if you're suicidal mm. and that's that is terrifying because you're not even thinking there's no emotion anymore so you're not even thinking about well if I do this what might happen it's like yeah. I can just do this who cares like so what was it then that how long were you on the sertraline for um I was on sertraline until 2021 okay um what was it that made you stop? Was it just the fact that it was you were not feeling good on it, or I um so it it had made me really numb, which is a dangerous mix with someone who's suicidal. Um, mm. and in twenty twenty, um, so I was eighteen, and COVID had just hit. It worsened my condition because now I had no choice but to give in to my fear of you know never going outside um and that solidified the whole housebound um situation so I had to quit a job at the care home which was on the same street that I lived so it was perfect for my anxiety because that was the only place like I could go um, it was still stressful, but you know, um, they really needed help during COVID. So I went there, and and then everything just really went downhill. Like COVID kept me in all the time. I was used to it. I couldn't, I couldn't go out anymore. I realized this was the only place I was going to be safe. Um, and again, the search really had made me really numb. I. I'd lost everything that I had. I had lost my friends. I had lost certain family members. No one understood what I was going through and nobody was trying to help me with what I was going through. And I was just very tired of trying to argue my case. 
like it had been four years mm. and no one wanted to help so I overdosed um where were you when you overdosed were you were you living at home at the, at the time with your mum I was yeah so what um, happened did your mum find you or I was never I never hit unconsciousness um weirdly the overdose was like the first thing that had made me feel in a very long time and when I had taken it I think I got halfway through um because I had like saved up a little like box of tablets um what was it that you were taking I had all of my tablets um all of the okay all of them mixed together yeah so I had sertraline um I had um obviously my propanolol which I didn't know whether you could overdose on I was just throwing anything that I could in there yeah um and also some of my mum's medication she never used to label her medication they used to be in like um little boxes or little jewelry drawers and they'd just be in like the the plastic um wrapper um so I would go in and like take one of them like kind of every day to store in my how many how many you took at, at one time I have no idea wow I it was such a a blast process like I just have not that much memory of it other than once I had taken like quite a few and like I remember there was still some in front of me and I was sat at my makeup table and I was like oh my god what What have I done um so what did you do at that point I didn't feel like I could stand um and my bed was because my room was so small my bed was like right next to the chair that I was on so I had lifted myself over to my bed Mm. and I had called my mum from I think she was downstairs um, on the sofa um, or something just to clarify my mum had been in rehab by this point so she was new and sober um which is good because obviously she'd have been drunk she might have been passed out and not been able to come and help you yeah I think about that a lot um I'm really really thankful that she was she was sober she straight away called um the yeah yeah um but we lived really close to the hospital and I remember her asking would it just be quicker if if I brought her like be honest like how long is your ambulance gonna take because we lived like right next to it yeah um and she ended up taking me she ended up taking me herself um in the car um but you don't remember that car journey really do you no I don't remember really any of it until until going home everything was just um so luckily what I had taken was not um 
I wasn't going to die. The effects that I were feeling with the tablets that I had also taken of my mum's was sleeping tablets. Ah, so you're very drowsy. So I didn't know that they were sleeping tablets. So although it was a dangerous amount, I was okay. It almost just would have knocked me out for maybe a few days or you know yeah yeah just like kind of sleep for it yeah yeah um and they ended up keeping me through I had many people speak to me um and then they gave me the option to be sectioned because of covid um it was an option at that point if you felt like you needed to be sectioned. And I did. I really knew that I did need to be sectioned, but also they were asking someone with agoraphobia if they wanted to be taken from their safe space and give up all control. Um, mm-hmm. So I I said no, um, but I said I do need help. Um, I really, I really do need help. I am suicidal. Um tonight was supposed to be an overdose like you know so please please can I can I have any any sort of help and they was like yeah we'll we'll uh refer you on to therapy um okay and I had waited um a year before I received a call after I had called them to ask, can you chase up the referral? Um, they had called me back and said that somebody had messed up at the hospital and the referral was never sent. So I had to go on another waiting list. Oh my gosh. And by the time I received the therapy from 2020, I think we was towards the end of 2021. And what was that CBT again? Yeah. Um, and did, did you continue with that this time or? I did. Um, so I did six sessions before the therapist left. Um, and she had really opened my eyes to a few things. We didn't end up doing CBT it was supposed to be and then when I described to her what was going on with me she was like you have agoraphobia Mm. okay like it's not generalized anxiety you have agoraphobia and it was like the biggest weight lifted off my chest I was like god that makes so much sense Like, she explained to it what it was. Um, Mm. She then went into compulsions and what compulsions were and that they were a sign of OCD. Yeah. Um, And there was quite a few other things. Um, we We just, like, continued with a talking therapy almost. Um... And she was really great. She made me realise where all of it came from. 
um, which I had no idea. No idea. Yeah, I, that's the thing with therapy, isn't it? Yeah, they really take you back to like obviously typically childhood, and you forget yeah. about all these things. I think the thing is as well as you, you never think what you've been through. You never really take a second to think about the things that you've been through and how yeah. bad it actually is because um, you're just getting on with your life and then you look back and you think wow there's no wonder I've struggled with mental health and I'm guessing obviously that was the same for you I mean even yeah. saying that you've grown up with a parent with alcoholism is obviously really hard for a young person to deal with um and I'm assuming that your mum is she better now she is uh, she's five years sober this year that's amazing and she's so, and she's been able to i assume support you as much bit. as she can yeah 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 so i have a question actually about your girlfriend because obviously <laughs> when did you meet your girlfriend i met her oh it's so weird um i met her last april so april of last year so before you met your girlfriend obviously you spoke about this period where you'd lost all your friends that you were suicidal and everything and you're probably just living at home with your mom Mm -hmm. did you like rekindle those friendships after that or did you continue to stay on your spend a lot of time on your own i didn't um rekindle them no um have you rekindled them to this day? No. Yeah. Um, yeah. There are a few that, like, you know, reach out to me every now and again. And they're like, hey, I've not seen you in years. And I've been able to explain to them kind of what was going on. Um, yeah. But people have lives and having a friend with agoraphobia really just isn't something that everybody can do mm. um it sounds awful and if anybody is listening with agoraphobia definitely don't accept those friends um yeah that's, the thing. I mean, that's, yeah. that's how i see it um i think um, i think it, I, I definitely think it's the period of your life that you were in because when i look back my school period when I had met mental health issues I don't speak to any of the girls that I went to school with really yeah um I don't know if any of them would ever listen to this podcast but um I don't speak I don't speak to any of the girls that I went to school with and you know I, I get it I probably wasn't the best person to be around um in that period of my life nor do I expect them to understand but I think if it, for example if it, if it was now my friends would get it and they'd be there for me yeah and so it is obviously a shame that you've lost those people but equally obviously with losing them you found your girlfriend who's probably like all of those people in one person for you i don't know i'm 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 just suggest i'm assuming that's that's what it's been like to find because obviously like there's nothing greater than like a partner and a, someone yeah. who's there for you constantly um and obviously live with her as well which 
is probably really helpful for you to have around. It is. But I'm intrigued how you met her. If you're obviously, is it dating apps? Or, because you're obviously not... No. Um, in, in, back in lockdown, um, everybody was downloading an app called Ubo. Um, I don't know if you've... It's like a a live streaming app almost, kind of like TikTok lives. Okay. Like loads of people can come in and and talk. Oh, so it's cool. like um like a house party. That is exactly what it's like. Okay, makes sense. Um, and you can just see everybody's lives. You can just scroll through and see everyone's lives. And I made so many friends off there, especially during lockdown, because everyone was almost experiencing the same as me. They couldn't go out. Um, yeah. So I met pretty much all of my friends on there. Um, and then last year I was on there and that's where I met my now girlfriend. And previous to meeting your girlfriend, what was dating like? Because obviously you were at school and obviously a personal question as well is obviously whether you're bisexual or lesbian that's quite difficult at school yeah itself anyway to be having those feelings I imagine people at school are just terrible yeah um dating before Hannah was fairly non-existent um nobody really would get past like maybe two weeks of talking to me before they realized oh my god yeah we're never going to be able to go out on dates or or do yeah. this or do that like people are dating for the long term you're not dating to break up you know mm. um so and at this time were you dating girls um both uh in high school I only dated boys and then when I left and went to college I started dating girls as well yeah um but now I'm that... completely gay and was that because sorry to ask these questions but I think it's actually really sorry. it's good to talk about this because it is a yeah. really like stigmatized thing not as much but people don't really talk about it yeah um, and there are so many people that probably are gay or bisexual and just are too scared to speak up about it and just and just take that plunge. So obviously yeah. you were dating boys through school. Um what was it that made you then start just then to start dating girls? Was it the fact that you'd left school and you felt more comfortable to express your sexuality? Yeah, honestly I went to college and so many people that I met were bisexual or they were gay. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So, you'd already have been feeling those things, but you just probably yeah. suppressed it. Yeah. It just it just really wasn't like there was nobody in my year that was gay. I don't think there was anybody even like the year above that was gay or, or anything like I mean, there are now. Um but you know, even they didn't come out until yeah. after high school. So, yeah. you know, I see a few of them now. I'm like, oh my god, wow! Yeah, they're out now, and they, you didn't. Yeah, 
before assume it yeah which is amazing right I think that it's definitely become it's way more accepted but I'm 27 obviously you're 21 now but still it's that it's still that generation when we're probably at school obviously different times but still it wasn't it's definitely accepted more now but only I would say just over the past like few years and the same with mental health as well so you obviously met your girlfriend on this app and then managed to start dating how has your girlfriend dealt with this I mean amazing that obviously you've been together for like a year or whatever now so she's just accepted it which is incredible yeah I was so shocked I never like in in my life because like I feel like when you when you date someone and you're agoraphobic um if you're housebound with it it kind of feels like asking somebody to give up their life as well and Mm. You know, you kind of spend pretty much your whole life wishing you could do these things, and now you're asking somebody else to give up what you would give your life for, you know? Yeah. Um, and I mean, she was in Birmingham as well, so she was not near me, um, but she, she accepted it so fast. I think I explained it to her on like the first day of, of meeting her on there. And she just, like, it was normal. Um, and every day since, she just treats it like it's normal. Like, she doesn't, it, there's no big fuss about it. There's no... Amazing. So, yeah, she was, she was great. And then she eventually came down um, to move in with me. Uh, we both had our own, like, kind of problems at home. And we just wanted our own space. Um, and we built up a really good friendship before that so moving in early wasn't really that big of a deal um, and I felt really comfortable around her with my condition as well so yeah it's going great so does your girlfriend leave the house um, are you okay with her leaving the house is it, is it still a case that you want her close to you my anxiety does get a lot worse when she leaves the house. Mm. Um, but it's not like you know, it's like that she needs to leave. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, one hundred percent. Um, she doesn't go out too much. She's just not really a going out person. She doesn't really like. It's not the clubbing scene and. And kind of all of that, and obviously she did move from Birmingham, so um, she doesn't have many like friends up here yet. Um, so she just doesn't go out much. She goes out with my mum. They go on dates. Um, Ew. So she goes, she goes on days out with my mum and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that's about it. That's so good. If we obviously like you found your person by the sounds yeah. of it, and. I think it's just incredible that you've got that because obviously without her it would be probably really difficult and you might be still living at home and all those sorts of things um but obviously other than your girlfriend who's clearly a huge support it sounds like you're not obviously fully out of agoraphobia right now and like I really appreciate the fact that you've been able to come on here and speak about it and it's important to do that 
with people that aren't fully recovered. Not every mental health story is going to be a success story. And I think that's really important and people need to be made aware of that. Um, It's not always a case that, you know, you miraculously get better and you have treatment and everything's amazing. People do live with things for a very long time. But how are you, despite still living with agoraphobia, how are you managing it now? Is it through medication? Are you having therapy? Um, I recently just finished, um, I did EMDR therapy and then a talking therapy. What's EMDR? Um, it's eye, eye movement. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've heard of that one. Yeah. Um, what was that? It's almost like hypnotherapy to like, uh, it was just like almost um unassociate what had happened to you in, in a memory past. with yeah with bad like you know yeah. it's almost like go with the trauma yeah um fortunately it didn't work for me but i know many people that yeah, it I've has been quite successful yeah yeah it has worked for massively um i do think in person it would maybe have a better chance of working. Of course, you did it online. Yeah. Um, hypnotherapy doesn't work too good um, over the phone. Um, no. It, it, as you yeah. can imagine, it's really yeah. just not. So that wasn't as effective, but it was, it was still good. Um, it was still something to try. Um, and then I did a talking therapy, um, and that was really because I've really come to terms with what I have, um, and I'm in a support group now for people who have agoraphobia, and it's it's really the same with a lot of them that when you first become housebound, you become so depressed that you're like, okay. This is the be all and end all. I I like throw in the towel. I I can't. You can still do life while you try and get better. Mm. Okay, like life doesn't have to just stop because this is happening to you. Like you can still focus on getting better, but there are still things that you can do. You can still have a job. You can still go to uni. There are still people out there that will be there for you. They will be your friends. Like, yeah, you know, right people, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Like the main thing for me was finding um, an agoraphobia support group. There is no one that can be there for you more than people that are going through yeah. it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly. I- and how often do you speak to this? Did you have like a WhatsApp chat or something? Yeah. Or do you have like regular meetings and stuff? Um, so it's a WhatsApp chat, but some of them I speak to kind of outside of the chat as well. Um, and it's, it's amazing. Like, and just obviously, because I don't, I don't know if anybody listening to this might potentially be suffering with agoraphobia. So, um, 
if, if you could give them, is there any advice you could give someone who might be wanting one of these support groups? What's the best way to go about finding one? Honestly, TikTok. Yeah. It sounds so weird. Uh, there really isn't much on Google. Agoraphobia is not spoke about enough. Um, there really isn't anything put in place um, out there. But TikTok has a huge community. You could just type in agoraphobia and you will find so many accounts of people who are currently suffering or who have suffered. Um, and nine times out of ten, they they always have um, a support group. There There is loads of them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if anybody out there is suffering, um, they can always contact me and they're more than welcome in my support group as well. Um, what would be the best way for someone to contact you if they were listening now? Instagram. Um, yeah, either through Instagram. Um, I have a TikTok um, called Living with Agoraphobia and my Instagram is just my name, Jodie underscore Mia. Um, so either or, um, and they're more and, than welcome. And, ha- and you've... And you've been able to find people through the TikTok. Yes. So you've started you started creating TikToks. Yeah. And have you had people message you at all from your TikToks to I say well, that's amazing? Honestly, it's the best feeling. It's like it, Yeah, it's it incredible. Really does. You know, social media has its downfalls for sure. But I think the mental health community and the ways that you know, I see it on t- I see it on TikTok. Just normalizing mental health um, through Instagram and, and TikTok is just incredible. And whenever I see reels, even for things that I've struggled with, I watch them and I'm like, "Wow, I'm not weird. This is just complete." Like everybody is going, yeah. everyone is going through something, and it's probably something that you experience as well. Um, so, okay, I will. I will try and remember to leave your tiktok and instagram in the description of this as well so that anybody can go and uh can go and give you a follow or reach out to you if they are struggling but it's kind of i was was going to ask you about advice for anyone struggling with agoraphobia and i think you've kind of you've kind of touched on some really interesting points there with the uh, support group but is there yeah. anything else, like any advice that you would give to someone if they were listening right now? I would say don't don't give in as much um, as you feel you need to with mm. agoraphobia. Um, it affects you outside, it affects you inside, and it will just decide on the day where you can and can't go. and honestly just fighting through one of those times makes it 10 times easier like I I promise it sounds so stupid you think it's so much easier to give in and it, it is but in the long run like honestly just saying no on the days you feel like you can do it yeah, I think that's I think that's really amazing because it's like you said about the um, the fact that you walk to the end of your road and yeah. then you walk to the hill 
in in your village or wherever you live and that might seem so small but in reality that's you being able to tell yourself I can do this and then it might be further than the hill and it might be to the shop or you know and then and then over time you start to build on that and 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 hopefully you can get your life back as much as is is possible um but I think what you're doing in terms of being able is share, sharing this story is so great, so important. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I've really loved speaking to you and I have no doubt that there'll be lots of people listening to this who will be able to benefit from your story. Thank you. Um, well, I will remember to leave the links for everything um in terms of if you do want to reach out to jody um after this podcast the tiktok community sounds great as well in terms of support so if you are listening and you are struggling do remember to have a look on tiktok um and see if you can find any relevant groups but thank you again jody and i wish you the best of luck with university um and your continued recovery as well Thank you so much for listening to the podcast episode today. I hope you've enjoyed learning a little bit more about Jodie's experience, who is an incredibly brave young woman, still dealing with agoraphobia and the many struggles that come with the disorder. As mentioned, please do seek professional support if anything that we have spoken about today is something that you might be struggling with. As always, if you have enjoyed the show, please remember to share with anyone who might need to listen to this today. And also, if you could leave a review or maybe even a little comment about how you found the episode, that would be amazing. Thank you so much for all the support and I will see you next week for the next episode.